Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. My name is Patrick J. McGinnis, and I coined the term FOMO. That's short for fear of missing out, and it's why some people end up following the crowd. But we're not like them. We're part of a new species that isn't afraid to do things differently. I call us FOMO sapiens. And this is the show where you'll meet people like us, phenomenal FOMO sapiens, to learn how they find the courage and the ideas to live exceptional lives. FOMO. FOMO. Welcome to another episode of FOMO Sapiens, the show for people who don't just follow the crowd, but instead take their own path to success in business and in life. I'm your host, Patrick J. McGinnis, venture capitalist by day, author and podcaster by night, and of course, FOMO Sapiens 24-7. And guess what, everybody? This is the month that we celebrate the bold thinkers. It's Bold Thinkers Month, and we've got four guests who are, you know, just they're doing things in a way that I found particularly exciting and I wanted to share with you. So it's all about bold thinking, hopefully some inspiration for each of our own lives and things that we can build ourselves by being bold. And the topic today is disrupting the game. That's the name of the new book from Reggie Fizeme, who was the president of Nintendo USA. Now, Reggie is a fascinating guy. He grew up in the Bronx, made it all the way to the top of Nintendo. He's got a huge huge presence in the world of gaming. I mean, if you follow him on Twitter, he's got something like 800,000 followers and people just listen to what he has to say because he has built stuff over and over and over again that changes industries and he is a bold thinker. Now, Reggie Fizeme is an award-winning innovator and disruptor who has helped bring the Nintendo DS, the Wii, the Nintendo 3DS, the Wii U, and the Nintendo Switch to the global marketplace as president and chief operating officer of Nintendo of America. And before he joined Nintendo, he was the senior VP of marketing at VH1, where he created and executed their marketing plans for the concert for New York City, which raised more than $35 million for disaster relief in the wake of 9-11. Since retiring, he has focused his energy on developing the next generation of business leaders. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff. One thing that I really liked about Reggie is he never does boring jobs. So it's kind of interesting. His career started out with places like Pizza Hut, Panda Express, Guinness, the beer. Then he went on to VH1 and then Nintendo. And I just want to understand how one makes their career so fun, right? I mean, he never worked at a widget company. And I think that's really, you know, for those of us who want to have exciting careers, working at companies that fire us up can, it can be a big part of that equation. Number two, we're going to talk about how he decided to go to Nintendo and how he navigated the cultural challenges of working at a Japanese company, because it's very, very different. And he made a little bit of a mistake early in his trajectory there that he will talk about. And I just thought that was a really, you know, in this global world of business, talking about this stuff is important. And finally, Reggie has these five life principles. And if you listen to Faux Monday the other day, we talked about coming up with life principles. So he has his five principles. We're going to get into a couple of them. And then we're going to talk about how one stays true to those life principles. Now, my small ask this month, not just this week, but this month is 
merch. I have launched a merch, you know, merchandise store at FOMOSapiens.com. So go to FOMOSapiens.com slash store. I have FOMO hats. I have FOMO t-shirts and stickers and mugs. Tell me what you think. Is there something that you would like there? Is there some design you want to change? I would love your feedback. I'm trying this out for the first time. I love mine. Actually, I wear it. And it's funny, when I wear my hat around, people ask me where I got it. And I say, well, you just go to fomosapiens.com slash store. All right, go check that out. And now on to the interview. And as you know, I start every interview with the same question, and it is not any different this week. So I started by asking Reggie this question. What's a formative decision you've had to make to get to where you are today? Well, first, Patrick, uh, thank you for uh, for having me on. And, you know, I'm fortunate. I, I look back on my career and see a number of key decisions I made. The one that I would start with is the decision to really make a, a radical shift uh, coming out of college and joining Procter & Gamble in their brand management program. So just a little bit of background. I'm attending Cornell University. My focus is on finance and business management. I intern at banks. I see my path as being in international finance. It's what I had clearly in my mind, what I had job offers to do. And I get an invitation to participate in an interview with Procter & Gamble. Procter & Gamble for their brand management program would typically only interview graduate students coming out of uh, schools with an MBA. And I knew nothing about the program, really didn't uh, even consider this path as something that could be interesting. But the more I looked into it, the more it fed all of my desires to learn how to run a business, to learn about all of the various disciplines you need in order to effectively grow a business. And I was fortunate to be uh, one of a handful of people hired into uh, P&G's brand management program with an undergraduate degree. And by being successful there, I was at P&G for eight years. Uh, I never had to go back and get the MBA that I thought I would have to go do. Uh, I really never had to look back. Uh, it propelled my career forward, not only by giving me a broad base of fundamental skills, but opening up all types of future opportunities. You know, which you're the second guest that I've recently spoken with who talks about P&G as this amazing place to start. We had a woman on the show who you may know called Lisa Skeet Tatum. And she started her career there as well. And, you know, kind of it's amazing because I think a lot of us nowadays, you know, in, in the current world that we live in, you know, you get out of college and you're sort of like, well, why am I not the CEO already? I'm 24. And I don't I don't mean that as a dismissive sort of comment because I love the fact that people are fired up. But when you start somewhere where you learn how to do things the right way, your position then to then when you sort of build, like if you only worked at places where you were struggling and you didn't sort of form healthy habits as it were, it's just a lot harder later on to be a great leader. So makes a lot of sense to me. What I found really interesting as I was sort of researching your career path is that let's just go through, let's take a little walk down memory lane. You started in places like, you started at P&G, then you moved on to places like Pizza Hut, Panda Express, Guinness, VH1, and then ultimately Nintendo. And I thought to myself like, 
this guy does not want to work at a company that does plastic injection molding. He is not going to do, you know, reinsurance. And I'm curious, as you made these choices, how much in your head were you like, you know, this looks like just a cool place to work that's fun. I'm going to be fired up to get up every day to, to do something that just brings joy to people's lives versus maybe you had opportunities that were also very compelling, but, you know, just didn't have that kind of, I guess, pizzazz. How do you think about that? You know, what always drew me were opportunities where the pace was incredibly fast, where the consumer tended to be uh, younger, um, and opportunities for me to just add more skills, more tool to my uh, toolbox, as it were, in order to progress. So, you know, as an example, the shift from, you know, Procter & Gamble, Fantastic grounding, but fundamentally, you know, these are businesses that grow three, four, five percent a year. You get a couple points of cost savings, so your profitability maybe grows by nine or ten percent. You know, ten percent a year. It, it's it's a slog. It is it is um, not very fast paced. Restaurants, you know, you know your sales from the night before. You can tweak your menu. You can make really quick changes and see a very immediate impact. So I love that part uh, of the business. And then, you know, went back into consumer packaged goods, but in the beer industry. And, and at the time, import beers growing uh, very aggressively. I was working for Guinness and their portfolio of, of high-end beers. So again, fun, fast-paced, uh, you know, uh, uh, a very active demographic. These were all of the things that motivated me. And then eventually, uh, you know, finishing my career, uh, at least my uh, my career within a large company at Nintendo, where you know this is a business that has to reinvent itself every five, six, seven years as new technology comes out. And so pace for me was what was so incredibly important and such a driver in all the decisions I made. FOMO. Tudo bem, meus queridos FOMO sapiens. Now that right there was Portuguese. And as you know, I love speaking foreign languages, but I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know I speak four languages, and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French. C'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. FOMO. Let's talk about the decision to go to Nintendo. I was reading, so you've got this new book out, which is, I think it's going to make a big splash. We were just talking about that uh, before we started taping. It's called Disrupting the Game from the Bronx to the Top of Nintendo. So take me back. You know, you're thinking about going to Nintendo. You're doing great in your career. You get that call. And before you take the job, you request a meeting with Satoru Iwata, 
who was the president of Nintendo at the time, which was, unbeknownst to you, sort of controversial. Talk about what happened and the conversation that you had and how it sort of eventually impacted your whole time at Nintendo. Sure. And so, uh, just stage, right? So this is 2003. Uh, at the time, uh, PlayStation uh, and their recently launched PlayStation 2 were dominating the industry. Uh, at the same time that Nintendo had launched its latest system, which was called the GameCube, Microsoft had entered the business, right? You know, a, a you know, totally 800-pound gorilla entering the video gaming space with the original Xbox. So Nintendo is, you know, depending on the marketplace, either in second or third place with GameCube. And uh, the year before, Sony had announced that it would enter the handheld gaming business, which at that time, Nintendo was absolutely dominating with their Game Boy business. So now PlayStation is going to, to essentially uh, attack you from the other side on the handheld space with uh, their new product that they call PlayStation Portable. So Nintendo was in a very difficult situation. And I was coming in to lead from a sales and marketing perspective, the America's business. And I knew that to be successful, I needed to have a strong partnership and working relationship with the parent company. And in particular, the leadership there, uh, the global president by the name of Satoru Iwata. And you know, to me, it, it was just a reasonable decision to say that I need to meet with this individual. I need to make sure that he and I uh, see the business similarly. It didn't have to be exactly the same way, but we at least see the business similarly, that we could have a great foundational relationship. And what was set up to be a half-hour conversation ended up being much, much longer than that. And it, it set the stage for a tremendous working relationship that he and I had that led to you know all kinds of groundbreaking products, the Nintendo DS, the Wii, later the, the Switch, which is in the marketplace now, but also a number of key business decisions that really transformed not only Nintendo's uh, market share, but the overall video game industry in total. So it was a critical, a critical ask. And yes, I did find out later it was highly controversial. You know, who is this American? You know, who does he think he is uh, spending time with our global president? But it was, uh, it was absolutely the, the right call to make and, uh, and led to a tremendous amount of success out in the marketplace. When you were deciding to join Nintendo, I have to think that some people said to you, well, great company, great opportunity, but you know, the culture it's going to be so different. This is a country, a company that's run out of Japan. Japanese business culture is very different in in some ways than American. Oftentimes, you know, the the the, the management of companies in Japan remains Japanese even to this day. And so, having to figure out and then succeed in a culture that's really different isn't always that easy. How did you go about, first of all? in your due diligence, sort of figuring out how to think about that. And then later as you join the company, because so many of our listeners here work in multicultural environments. And, you know, it's not, even though our world is much more connected than it was in the past, it's still very easy to, to land on the wrong foot. How did you navigate and learn in order to succeed at Nintendo? So a, a number of things. First, 
I spent time as a consumer playing their products and playing competitive products. So I walked into the position uh, with the mindset of a consumer, with the mindset of, you know, here's what interests me, here's what excites me, here's you know what I think I could add to this business. And during the interview process, I, I had pages and pages of notes, uh, research that I did. Um, I went into retail stores and looked at what the marketplace positioning was. So that you know, the first insight I would share is you know you have to do a lot of your own personal due diligence to understand the situation and, and have the best sense of what you're walking into. Second. You know, I asked a lot of tough questions during the interview process, especially late in the interview process. And I, I share this with young people that I meet. You know, early in an interview process, you're selling yourself, but you get to a point where the company wants you. Uh, and now it's your opportunity to really make sure that the company is going to be right for you, the culture, the business challenges. So, you know, late in the recruiting process, you know, that's when I started asking a lot of tough questions, like wanting to meet with the global president. And so uh, making sure that you understand what you're walking into is just critically important. Specifically to Nintendo, I was, uh, I was aggressive in stating my point of view, how I saw the business. And I was fortunate that the directness in my approach, the aggressiveness in my approach was valued at the time. The company recognized that they needed to do things differently in order to be successful moving forward versus uh, the, the way that they had been operating. And, uh, and in particular with Nintendo, you know, they are not uh, headquartered in Tokyo. They're headquartered in the cultural uh, capital, uh, Kyoto which again, it made their own culture very unique, very different. And, and you know, I, I like to say it was, uh, it was serendipity that the way I approached things, the way I thought about things was highly valued by Nintendo executives and the culture there, which made the fit just, uh, just super right. Uh, I made a lot of uh, tough calls early in my career, tough recommendations. They worked that gave the organization more confidence to not only give me more responsibility, but to that, you know, follow even more of my recommendations. So it became a positive flywheel, you know, aggressive, making recommendations, recommendations work, you know, trusted, make more recommendations. You talk about the five life principles that you have really lived your life by it. And I'll just read them out because they're, they're very good. Number one is what happens to you is up to you Own your journey. Number two, life is hard. So dig deep tenacity and grit are essential qualities for everyone. Number three, be open to alternatives. Number four, embrace your fear, overcome it through practice and determination. And number five is live in the moment and have some fun along the way. Now we're going to talk about a couple of those in detail, but before we get there, I really, as I, as I read about that and thought about that, I was sort of, I, I asked myself the same question, like, what are my life principles? I have a couple. One is, is uh, never be bored or boring. Another is 
decision-making based on fear leads to suboptimal outcomes and incomes. But those are things that I just recently came up with. I never sort of did this exercise. And so I wanted to just, before we get into them, just explain to us like how you came up with this idea and when did you do that? And what was the process for developing them? Because I think this is something that we should all probably be, be doing in our, in our sort of in our, in this moment now. So, uh, gosh, starting maybe 20, 25 years ago, I was in a, in a situation where I was going back to my alma mater Cornell university on a regular basis, um, to engage not only with professors and departments uh, that I valued, but also engaging with students. And again, you know, th this, this guy with a background in beer and pizza and music and video games, you know, I, I, there are a lot of students wanting to spend time with me and asking me all kinds of questions to help them on their own personal journey. And it was during, you know, all of these interactions that I started to just think about, you know, what are the core things that I believe in? What are the core things that I believe have helped me make good choices and have helped me get to where I am? So it literally, Patrick, was a, a 25-year journey of distilling these principles to a point where I could articulate them. I could give examples of where I followed the practice uh, and made decisions based on these principles and how at least for me, they worked out. So it, it was an ongoing process based on conversations that, that got it to where it is today that I can, I can say these are truly my five life principles. Did you write them down somewhere or do you like embroider them on something? How do you kind of keep them in, in your, your sort of line of sight on a, on a daily basis? So I, I write them down. They are, um, you know, they're documented. Um, I have, you know, a, a mission written down and documented. I go back to it and look at it on a regular basis. You know, I'm one of those that uh, I'm, I'm visual. So I believe by having uh, either written statements or visual pictures helps me. Uh, and it, I constantly look to reinforce these and everything I do to the point where, you know, if I'm in a situation and I'm not having fun, then I get myself out of that situation. And it's it's something that I constantly try and live by. Yeah, I think that's really smart. I think writing things down or, you know, we'll talk about the metaverse later. You could mint them to the blockchain. <laughs> that would be very 2022. But before we get into any of that, let's talk about a couple of these because I really, I appreciate that you're setting these out. And these are very internal things, but also there, there are things that I when you share them with other people, I think they give everybody a chance to self-reflect a little bit, see a pathway. FOMO. FOMO. So let's start with the fear one, because, you know, fear missing out is obviously a fear. There's lots of other fears, but embrace your fear over coming through practice and determination. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, look, so we all, we all have, you know, deep, dark fears, you know, things that uh, concern us. And, you know, I, I think back early in my career, I was deathly afraid of public speaking, deathly afraid of it. And I, I think part of it was, you know, here I am, uh, a 22-year-old executive, literally working alongside people who are five, eight years older than I am, have had 
broader life experiences than I have had at that point in time. So I didn't speak up very much uh, to get in front of a room and to give a presentation. Just, you know, it, it struck fear in my heart. And I realized that if I needed, if I was going to progress in my career, I would have to get over this. I would have to, to be an effective public speaker. So, you know, I took classes, I practiced, I got to the point where I would ask to do big presentations. I, I think I was uh, in my late twenties and I was giving a presentation in front of a few thousand people. I mean, these were, these were uh, experiences that were not typical for people in my role, but I sought them out so that I could enhance my skills and capability in doing that type of work. So, you know, I saw it in my own self that if if you understand something that makes you afraid, that concerns you, and you attack it and you go after it, uh, you can turn it into a strength. You can eliminate that fear. You're able to move on and, and attack other things. So that's where the principle came from and uh, and how I, you know, through my own personal journey, really took something I was afraid of and turned it into a strength. It's really important because I think I, it's interesting, like just the last couple of years with COVID, I'm, I'm not a very fearful person uh, because I have that kind of mindset as well. I, I, the things that scare me, I run towards them. But I, I just felt like the bold part of me sort of got killed a little bit. And so I have been cultivating that as well. As, as listeners know, I, I went to this island off of Yemen for New Year's and without a week without any internet and just lived in a tent and did all the things. And what it reminded me of was like this fearlessness and this boldness that I had always been my trademark that I had, it just had been sort of like covered over with layers of the stuff that we've all been dealing with. So uh, what's great about this whole thing is if you hadn't done this, like you could have never risen to where you are because being the president of Nintendo is such a public facing role. You're on a stage making keynotes. You're, you know, it's, it's amazing. And now talking to you, you would never know. So that's inspiring and also highly practical. You have one more uh, that I want to just bring up because it's, it's such a good one. And it's live in the moment and have some fun along the way, which is the fun part. I think we all get that. But living in the moment is one of those things we all say we want to do. But like how many, you know, I, you wake up at the end of the week on a Friday and you're like, what happened to me this week? So talk about how you do that. Look, it, you know. Especially in this day and age, right? With all of the technology, you know, you're you can be on call 24 hours a day. And certainly in my role at Nintendo, where you know headquarters is in Japan, I've got peers in Europe. You know, it it was a 24/7 type of role. And so, you know, having a mentality to step back and say, what is it that I enjoy? How do I recharge? You know, what can I do just to make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm able to do the work. I'm able to do these other things and to, uh, to, to make those types of decisions, you know, and even in retirement, you know, I'm, I'm faced with these types of situations. Yeah. I, I was on a board and, um, you know, I found that I wasn't having fun. I found that, you know, the perspectives I was sharing were not uh, looking to be valued. So I got off the board and, you know, I made the tough decision to say, this is just not going to be for me. I need to do something else with my time and, and find uh, 
other situations where my experiences, my perspective, my knowledge, my background are going to be valued. So it's it's something that I, I think is just incredibly important, you know, no matter what you do, uh, you know, how you uh, how you spend your time, if you're not constantly challenging yourself and saying, you know, am I enjoying this? Am I having fun? Am I being rejuvenated? You know, that's how people burn out when they can't do those things. It's like you read my mind because I was going to go there. I was reading that you were at South by Southwest recently and you're out there. You're talking. What I love, you throw some little bombs out there that, that people like to write about in the press. And one of them was about the fact that you were on the board of GameStop which I believe you just alluded to in terms of leaving a board because you, you you sort of entered when the stock was at five. When you left, it was 150, but you know you decided to it was not the place for you. And I think about GameStop a lot because it was the meme stock of the year. And it was, for me, an example of FOMO investing. It's you know people who are going on Reddit and they're in you know Wall Street, um, I think it's called Wall Street Tips, and they're buying the stock. And there's just this whole sort of like proletarian struggle against these hedge fund types. And it's like just, it was a crazy, insane, and probably we're going to see it again and again and again. But as somebody who was in the mix there, I'm just curious as you as you think about that, like what was it like to just be watching that from from you know the position of actually being at at the table? So a, a couple things. First, yeah, I, I think it's incredibly powerful for retail investors to make decisions to you know invest in in stocks or or other forms of investment. You know. Th- that is that is a day that's been long in coming. You know, I'm I'm old enough to remember uh, a day when if you wanted to make a stock trade, you know, you were being charged you know an exorbitant amount of money, uh, you know, to to make an investment. And you know, today all of that is free. Um, so it, it's a tremendously powerful situation uh, with the retail investor, specific to GameStop. You know, the, the challenge for the company was that, you know, you're trying to do all of the right things. You're investing in your e-commerce capabilities. You're getting ready for, uh, you know, when the new systems by Sony and Microsoft were going to be launching. And as you're doing this, you know, you're, you're needing to have conversations with partners. You're, you're needing to really set the stage for the business to go on a profitable run. And as your stock price is gyrating out in the marketplace, it, it is in, an incredibly difficult situation because you know a vendor doesn't understand why the stock you know shot up by $50 a share and then dropped by $50 a share, right? And, and they're wondering what it means to do business with a company as all of this is happening. So it, it was incredibly difficult uh, when uh, when that was happening as you're trying to navigate a company and a company that was in a challenging shape at the time. Um, on the flip side, you know, f- you know, from from a personal perspective, you know, going through this, you know, it, it was uh, it was learning and governance uh, in terms of how to how to be thoughtful as a board director in navigating through something like this. You know, I, it was essentially a, gra- a graduate course in governance as this was uh, as this was playing out. So again, I, I, lo- I look back on elements of that situation very positively in terms of things that I learned and, and things I took away. 
But in the end, you know, I, I felt that my contribution wasn't going to be valued, which is why I left. Yeah, it's it's the thing that people forget is like, yeah, the stock went up, but your job as a board member is to be sort of you're supposed to serve the interests of the company and shareholders and think in the long term, not just in terms of like, hooray, our company has had this massive. And that's that's hard because that opens a lot of doors to risk. So. I can't even imagine that could be your next book, by the way, potentially, if you feel like it, but before, <laughs> but, but we'll wait for that when, when it comes out in a couple of years. But before I let you go, I do have one more question for you. We mentioned the metaverse. So the me good old metaverse, you know, I don't even know how to think about this. I watched that weird Facebook video about the metaverse. And I thought if this is what the future is, like, I'm cool with where we are today. And I know that at South by Southwest, you also express, you know, you're, you have a very different view of where things are going than, you know, the Facebook type companies of the world. So I'd love to just hear from you as you think into the future. I mean, you, you've been at the forefront of this massive technological revolution in gaming, and now we're moving into, you know, web three metaverse, all this sort of stuff. Like, how do you think about it? How should we think about it? And how is your vision different than, you know, some of the other people out there? For me, metaverse is something that is immersive, something where uh, a, a, a player or a person will have an individual representation of who they are, and, and that's going to have some value. Um, for me, the metaverse will be a situation where you've got a common currency so that you can participate in a range of different activities, all with with one currency. These are the elements uh, for me that define a metaverse. And with that definition, we ha actually have elements of the metaverse today, right? Roblox uh, has those types of elements, a range of different immersive experiences, one common currency, and your, your digital persona is something you can customize and has value to you. Um, there are games that have these similar types of elements. So I believe the metaverse is real. I believe that we're continuing to progress in these types of experiences. You know, the, the statements I made where I, I wasn't as positive on Facebook and how they're defining it is in order for this type of experience to exist, you have to be trusted. You have to be trusted by business partners. You need to be trusted by the consumer. I think it's fair to say that Meta does not have a lot of trust today and the trust is declining. Um, there needs to be a common currency. Uh, Meta and, and Facebook has tried to do digital currency. They've not been successful to date. There were just recent announcements that they're trying to get into that uh, digital currency business. We'll see how they do. Um, so partners, currency, these are all foundational elements where at least today, I don't see that company having a lot of strengths. I, I never thought about it the way you just express it, but it's so true. It's like, if you're not, if you're kind of naughty, do I really want to move into your metaverse? No, I don't. I'll move into, into, into a place where our, uh, my vision and my goals are aligned. It's like living in a country, right? I, you want to find a place where your ethos is reflected by the government. And if not, you want to be able to change it. All right. So <laughs> the name of the book is Disrupting the Game from the Bronx to the Top of Nintendo, which you can find in the real world or on audiobooks where, where Reggie reads it, uh, reads the book himself. And you can find Reggie on Twitter at Reggie and on LinkedIn at Reggie Fizeme Nintendo. Reggie Fizeme, thanks so much for being here. Absolutely, Patrick. Thank you so much for the conversation. 
FOMO. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, and on the web at FOMOSapiens.com or PatrickMcGinnis.com, where you can get all kinds of free resources to live a more decisive and entrepreneurial life. FOMO Sapiens is recorded in New York City. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis, and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstro. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me at FOMOSapiens.com and at PatrickMcGinnis.com. To advertise on FOMO Sapiens, reach out to contact at FOMOSapiens.com. FOMO.